What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally, and all of our programming is brought to you by you, the people of Patreon. If you have any questions at Patreon, go ahead and ask them there. We'll get them on the shows. I've got a couple from Patreon today. Links to that below. We are brought to you by truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK for additional savings on everything you can think of. Every bodybuilding supplement you need, carb powders, proteins, creatine. Use our code THINK over there to help support the programming. EvalBloodAnalysis.com. You can get your lab work done by Dave, plus get an evaluation on it. He'll tell you everything that's going on in your body. Uh, you can do that. Dave will do it directly for you. He'll come to your house. You can get your lab work done by Dave. He'll do it today. He's got time. Right after the show, just give him a ring. Go to EvalBloodAnalysis.com. Strom Sports Nutrition, for those of you in the UK. Um, people had been asking uh, Rich about getting some uh, uh, free supplements. Rick Foster over there at Strom. He didn't like that very much. But let me do this. Let me encourage you guys. If you place an order with Strom, there'll be like a little section that says like additional notes. Like tell, say, I love Richard Foster. I've had a crush on him for years and uh, I can't wait until he is mine. Say something along those lines in the notes. Every single one of you. All right. I, I think it'd be better actually saying that Scott and Dave are ace and you're poo. <laughs> That's good too. Did you say a poo? No, so you, uh, your poo, just your, your poo. poo, just Scott and Dave are ace and Richard is poo. Yeah, that's good. Okay, let's go with that. That's a good one. Hmm. Um, also, we're brought to you by uh, SupplementSource.ca for Canadians, guys. We have a bunch of questions that uh, you guys <laughs> left us from the last episode. If you want to take part in the next show, then comment below. And like I said, comment on Patreon. Patreon people get priority. Dave, we're gonna just jump right into this thing. Um, we're going to start with a diet question that we were going to kind of like ease in with some stuff questions and go from there. Um, so question, my schedule uh, is subject to change Monday through Friday. So I cannot control my meal times as a lineman. Now we didn't know what a lineman was. I thought it was a British term. Dave said, no, I think it is a person who works on a production line. So they're on a fixed schedule. Um, but th then you would think maybe it, maybe it shifts, maybe the shifts move. I don't know. Alignment. Anyway, though, he says, but I can't control my macros. Is it all right to just hit my, oh, it's not a diet question. My HGH, uh, six I use at night, wake up, eat high carb protein meal with Humalog and hit the gym before work. He's been running growth for six months and insulin for only 12 weeks at a time. So it sounds like he just can't control his food schedule through the day. And his thought is, should I take my all my growth, 6IU, before bed, and then wake up and do your insulin with your meal one? Boom. Yeah, I mean, Lantus dosing is not overly high. So as long as he's relatively consistent with his food through the day, I don't see there being a major issue there. Um I get a bit wary around Lantus if someone's going to end up having like six or seven hours of fasting periods because of work commitments. For argument's sake, someone who was a, a call-out driver for breakdown or something like that, you know, they can get stuck on a job for hours and just not be able to eat. So I wouldn't be keen on Lantus on someone who's going to have big fasting periods during the day because of how their work schedule is. But as long as his macros are reasonably consistent, I don't see an issue with a, pre a morning Lantus pre-meal and then going into his day. I definitely think that GHPM is is the best solution for where he is with things, yes. Um, Humalog. 
He's using Humalog. So, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, so he's fast. He's yeah, fast, fast acting. acting. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, no, brain not working. Yeah. Yeah, you need to get that coffee in. Yeah, Humalog, I mean, the, the key is, is to around that around four hour window around the Humalog, you want to make sure that mm. you have everything managed. So I, the only thing I would be concerned about would be, you know, you're getting enough carbs in for the dose you're using. Plus, you know, realistically, we should be using low doses. We don't need to be like hammering that Humalog with a bunch. I mean, you'll find three units of Humalog is going to be enough to give you a nice blast. And and you're not going to have to worry as much about carryover post-workout, you know, any any type if, of like residual issues. If he's going to use human, sorry, if he's using fast action pre-workout, I would definitely look at some interim nutrition for the workout. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, um, to maximize it. Otherwise, I'd be more tempted to put it in post-workout as long as he knows he's got reasonable frequency of food, even though it may not be perfectly timed. Uh, um, but again, dosing, like you say. I mean, I think he, he's going to be good with 3-4 IU. Uh, I don't think he really needs any more than that if he's going to do it pre-workout with a meal. Yeah, I would say wake up, eat my carbs. Like, this is all regardless of when you're taking growth. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't care. You're taking growth at night. That's fine. But if you're going to, let's just, the question is really about using insulin in meal one before train and training after meal one. So you get your carbs in meal one, then insulin, then train, have that intra workout on hand pre post workout meal, right? Now you've kind of sandwiched things in and at a three to four unit dose, you're going to be relatively safe. Yeah, I, I think you're going to get good doing it that way. You're obviously going to get an, a, a spike with your, your morning meal anyway. So eat your morning meal pre-insulin like you've just suggested. Then have your insulin with your intra and your post. And that initial shot of, of 4IU is going to carry you through the workout and post-meal nutrition and comfortably sit you down in then and then you've got your break before you eat your next meal at work, whenever that is. So, yeah, it seems fairly solid, but I just would be a little bit on the lighter side rather than the heavier side dose-wise. Hey, before we get further into this, I, I kind of went ADD and interrupted myself from doing our questions. I had a question for you. Um, how often in the UK, this is kind of like a cultural question, how often in the UK... Do you get a can of baked beans that has an eyeball in it? Oh, daily. daily? Once a week at least. Yeah, said, once a week at least. Guys, I sent this article to Dave. If I, I add my own eyeballs in it if I don't if it doesn't come with one. <laughs> I sent this article to Dave, and this guy claims that there was he he's a UK guy. That's what made me think of Dave. Said there was an eyeball in his baked beans. Hmm. That is weird. If yeah. it's true, yeah, because you, you, even if you know, even if um, that is legit, it's like, why would you have an eyeball anywhere near a vegetable product? It's not like it's a meat processing plant yeah. for baked beans. Oh, and just bar Liam Hunter from the from the from the show. He said uh, he wouldn't do Richard Foster dirty like that. Yep, so he's barred. Get rid of him. All right, we'll ban him. We'll ban him straight yep. away. Bam. He also said yep. he uh, realized that Scott has some outrageous forums. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'll take that. Boom. Boom, Dave. There, take that. 
And I yeah, never. We all, know, we, all, we all know why that is, don't we? <laughs> hey, they're both the same size. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ambidextrous. Ambidextrous. <laughs> I set myself up for that one. And listen, uh, I'll tell you what, man. I I've never directly done forearm work. You see guys that are like, hey, you know, I I do my curls and then I do this and then I do my reverse curls and then I do my wrist curls and you know what I mean. I've never done that stuff. It's just a matter of if you get strong, everything is going to grow. Your forearms are going to grow mm-hmm. from holding on to a heavy bar. You know, really. Where's this guy from? He's from uh, Plymouth. Plymouth, Devon. Uh, oh, no, excuse me. He's located in Tesco in Plymouth, Devon, United Kingdom. Where's that at? Plymouth is the bottom end of the country. So it's closer to like... Uh, like it's below, below London, so it's that bottom London. coastline. Okay. So you've got Bournemouth and then Plymouth, and then it moves down into sort of Cornwall. So Plymouth's sort of big naval place, um, sort of top edge of Cornwall, really, I suppose, in the sense of moving up the country. But it is the bottom coastline. It's a flat bottom of England. That's where you're looking. About four hours to get there? <sighs> About eight. Oh, really? See, I've had it in my head that you can get anywhere in the UK in four hours. In England. I- there's traffic seven to eight from where I am. Jeez. Um, we have a clinic down there. We have a we have a girl called Beth down in Plymouth. No, we don't. We have Abby down in Plymouth. Beth's in Bournemouth. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. <sighs> so you guys have stuff set up like uh, just at different um, different gyms, or how does that work? Eighteen clinics now. Holy crap! Are they running like every day, or how does that work? Like Sundays, she comes in, or. So, yeah, so it's, it's a mix. Um, some of them are existing establishments that do other things and do with us as well. Okay. So we've got Fife, which does cosmetics and then does work for us. We've got Glasgow, which is just purely she goes in for any bookings that we have. Huddersfield's full-time, Bradford's full-time. Um North Wales is a room in a gym, but she goes in as and when she's got bookings. Hmm. South Wales is a room in a gym, but it's run by the gym owner, so it's open whenever. Uh, Norfolk is a clinic. Um, Swindon is a bit of a mix, so he's doing it from his home, but also gym stuff. Uh, Essex is gyms and a clinic room. Uh, Suffolk is home. Plymouth is a gym, but it's a clinic in a gym, so it's a proper clinic room in a gym. Uh, Bournemouth is mobile. London is mobile. Two Londons are mobile. Uh, Blood buses running all around London. Well, no, they just come to your home, so they just come oh, to Oh, you. you're kidding me. They really do. So when I said you know, Dave will come to your house and take your blood, I kind of wasn't wrong. The thing is with London, it's so dense population-wise, it's viable to do that. But in other areas, the travel amount's just too much. It's That's wild, much. man. All right, listen, uh, we got a bunch more. People don't care about the individual hours of each location, okay. Dave. They don't. They don't. But on, that, on the topic what? of uh, arms, what about fat grips? Um, Somebody asked us on one of our like super old episodes. They commented with a question for Dave 
And it was like from an episode from like two years ago. So I made a note and I wrote it down in the Patreon so I'd remember because I would never see that. Somebody said, ask Dave what he thinks about fat grips. Do you even know what those are? I know what fat grips are. I, I know have they a have fat more. grip. That's why I've got fat hands. <laughs> fat grip. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a fan. I think they're a bit fatty. Um, I think that they're, they're yeah. actually going to be more unproductive from a point of view of damaging the workout you're trying to do. Yeah. I am a great believer that if you want big forearms and you don't naturally have farms that are developing with your training, then train them. But what I don't what I don't want to do and what I wouldn't advise to do is let other body parts suffer because of your forearms. Right. Um, so using fat grip on a biceps or fat grips on a pull down because you want to affect your forearms more is generally going to pull away from the bicep or the fore or the, the back work that you're doing. So I would rather use straps and show my back is trashed. And then if I need to train my forearms separately, but yeah. also it, it's that I think people are a bit, they'll come in and they'll be doing a warm up set of 70, 80, hundred pound pull up pull downs and they're using straps. And it's like, why you don't need it. Let your arms do work and to the point where it's starting to become a restrictive problem, then strap up. Yeah. Um, and it's the same, like, I feel the same about squatting with knee wraps. You know, don't wrap from the very first set. Wrap when you need them. When you need that confidence booster or you need that security of a wrap. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where a lot of people sometimes go wrong with these support aids is that they use them. It's like people that wear a belt for every set of everything they do. And it's like, well, your core's just not going to be engaging and it's not going to strengthen in line with your movement because you're constantly restricting it because you're constantly wearing the belt. Yeah. Um, I, I understand where people are trying to deliberately smallen their waist. That That's a different scenario. But uh, in general, you know, I put apparatus on when it's required and I feel the same way about straps and wrist support. And if, if fat grips is a way to improve your grip strength, yes, fat grips as something to incorporate into regular training no yeah i'm with you 100 percent. you know uh, i like some guys are like oh i want to have that strong grip strength like even fat grips aside they're like oh i don't use straps because i don't you know i want my grip strength to be strong it's like well if you're power lifting or you know you're a strong man then i i totally get that because your ability to do your work is going to depend on your grip you can't use straps in a competition but for us in bodybuilding, I mean, what's going to be stronger, my entire back or my grip, you know? I mean, you can develop very strong grips and I oh, yeah. no no issue with that. But my only argument is don't don't destroy a back workout because you're trying to overwork your grip. You know, if you if do the back workout to its max potential and then if if your forearms are lacking, do your forearms as well. Yeah. Hey, remember last it's not week? You see people train anymore. It's forearms, to be honest. You don't see it? Did you say? No, no I don't. I don't think I've seen anyone train forearms in a very long time. It used to be something like it was kind of part of your arm workout years ago, mm. like in the early '90s, late '80s. Mm. You remember last week we talked about TRT in in jail, and uh, mm -hmm. we had a few people comment. I guess that Dave Palumbo was given TRT when he was inside, but he had Rick Collins was his lawyer and he probably, you know, you're going to have to pay a lawyer like Rick Collins uh, to ensure that that's going to happen. There's that. 
Um, Larry Pollack, who is another guy, and he listens to our show, he mentioned that he was given uh, TRT when he was inside, but other people didn't. You ever hear of a band called As I Lay Dying? No. <laughs> Me either. But the singer of As I Lay Dying went to prison off AAS and tried to sue for not being allowed to use CIRMS and alleged that gyno and other side effects. Is he a big dude, I wonder? Let's see. I'm going to find him out. Yes. Are they? Is everybody that's? Are they all American-based that have got the TRT? Sounds like it. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's never happened in the UK. I'm just not aware of it ever happening in the UK. Okay, so I think so. This is the guy in the middle. Uh, the guy in the middle with the sleeveless shirt, not the guy in the end with the sleeveless shirt. He was the one. It looks like because here's also here's another picture of him. And it looks like he may be sentenced at this point here. That looks like a courtroom to me. So he was the one that went to jail. I mean, he's not really big there. But then again, yeah, there's, there's, I would, I would have said the first picture. I would have said yes, he's seen the inside of a gym. Yeah. Then again, though, I think this is the same band here. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that, that's a little bit of a transformation if that's the same guy. But hold on a second. Let me bring up that other picture and we can compare the tattoos. Let's see. So what's is is this post heroin and the first one pre heroin? <laughs> Let's see here. Hold on, I'm looking for a different that's, picture. That's a dramatic change. Yeah, yeah, that really is. So let's see here. Can you line up those tattoos, Dave? I mean, he I, looks like... Mate, I've only got half a pair of glasses working. I can't <laughs> even line up the TV screen. That's a good point. That's a good point. Hey, Dave, how many fingers am I holding up? Two. <laughs> All right. Sorry, guys. I get a little distracted here sometimes. Um, we're, we're, we're very disorganized. This is absolute garbage this week. <laughs> is it any different than? Is that any different than normal? Let me ask you that. Well, I think he's probably probably yeah. Actually, I think he's worse than normal. Well, I asked you about your thing, and you spent eighteen minutes. I recorded eighteen minutes. You're like in Brosman, we're open from ten to three. In oh, know, in Plymouth, right. we're open Look. from eleven to five on Mondays and Wednesdays. Promote <laughs> when I can. No, give me the opportunity. In, then in, don't Liverpool, in Liverpool, we're available on Sundays and Mondays. You can no, go I need to Bill's one home. in Liverpool. Actually, I need, I need one in Manchester <laughs> and I need one in Liverpool. So if anyone's watching, <laughs> and they need so they need to be like a registered what therapeutic phlebotomist type thing. Yeah, you pay them pretty good too, from what I hear. And people seem to be happy working with you. Believe it or not, guys, people actually like we, working we, for Dave. We've actually got a good team, um, a very really good do. team around us. I, I'm really happy with the people we have working for us. Uh, and, and it's I know everyone says they want to make it like family. And I, I, you don't, actually. When you employ people, you don't want to make it like family because if you do, they take the piss. Um, but... They they just they're a hardworking bunch and everybody mucks in and they it, you know it's great yeah I, I am very blessed in that department. All right, we do have a, like an Ask Davy or an Uncle Davy type question for the end, something to deal with insecurities. Let's see here, what else do we have though? Um, all right, he says uh, Scott and Dave, uh, Happy Bladed New Year. My question is, 
Higher test cycles require higher anti-estrogen, such as a Remedix or a Romacin intake. Um, would you rather have lighter test cycle but less anti-estrogen intake, or would you go hard with test and take more anti-estrogens? Depends on my goal and the individual. Yeah. If somebody has a problematic relationship with estrogen where they are particularly sensitive and they particularly struggle to manage it, then I would definitely be looking at a lower test based uh, and and then you know other compounds. If somebody has a good tolerance of estrogen, even though they may need slightly more anti-estrogen management, but they're not super sensitive to it, so there's room for a little bit of leeway there. There's a bigger margin of where we can spill over without having any consequences. Then I'd probably be happier in pushing the wet drugs higher. Um, estrogen plays a significant role in growth. Um, it plays a significant role in health management. And it's always going to be a trade-off between having good high estrogen to promote growth and health but not having it that high that it starts causing new problems. And that threshold is going to be very different from person to person. I mean, we've this, I know people that when, and I'm going to speak in English ranges, so I do apologize for the American fans, but I know people that start getting gyno issues around 200 PMOL for, for estrogen. So what's the range in, in PMOL? Uh, 149, I think, is the upper limit. Okay. So you're only talking, you know, 20% above upper limit, and yeah. then they're getting very severe gyno. But I know people that can tolerate 500, 600. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, they'll have a bit of water retention, but that's it. Yeah. And I tend to find that the people that have a much greater tolerance of estrogen are the ones that can build the really, really big muscle. Um, huh. uh, and more so almost in defiance of where their total drug dosing is. So uh, for argument's sake, I'm not going to mention his name, but I know a couple of very established bodybuilders who run estrogen very high. That's just naturally where they are. It's not deliberate. It's just how they work. Okay. Uh, they don't do particularly big cycles, but they develop very large amounts of muscle mass. Yeah. And then I know other people who run much higher cycles, and I know there's all sorts of other factors in this as well, so I'm not for one minute trying to say this is purely down to estrogen levels, but they have to keep estrogen much lower because they don't tolerate the elevation, and they seem to need much higher levels of anabolics to develop a similar level of muscle mass when they are very evenly matched when it comes to training ability, strength, and those sort of factors. Yeah. So uh, I do think estrogen plays an important role, but uh, I've always been of the impression run it as high as you can without it causing you problems. Um, but that is going to be particularly individual to each person, and, and that's where it becomes more complex because there isn't a you know one size fits all. Every single person is going to have different factors. Body fat plays a level in it. Um, Clearance rate plays a level in it. Conversion rate plays a level in it. You know, natural metabolism plays a... a, a there's all sorts of factors that come into this. So um, it isn't that clear cut. But uh, for me, I don't have an issue with high, 
high AIs if they're needed. But I would want to be justifying why I'm doing it. So if, I know I'm going on a bit here, so I'll cut this very short now, but if, if I know that with somebody, if I push their, their test up to say six, 700, we're going to get a pronounced increase in development and it works very well for them, but it means I have to run high AIs to do it, then to me, that's a fair trade-off. But if I know pushing the test up high on someone and I'm having to run high AIs and I'm not getting the payback for that, yeah, then it's not it's not a route I would go. I would look for a lower test base, less AIs, and using different compounds. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's as long as the juice is worth the squeeze, crack on. You know, do what you have to do to manage the drugs you're taking. The only way you're going to know that though is by trying it unfortunately there's a, a large element of trial and error with this but if you push your test up to say 500 and you start getting problems and you start finding it difficult and you're getting blood pressure issues and and you're generally not feeling it then there doesn't seem to be much sense in trying to push your test higher even with better estrogen management yeah but if you're in the 500 range you feel good but you're a bit watery then I can say, well, look, okay, this looks like you're going to tolerate a higher test cycle much better. And test is a perfectly viable compound that produces very good bang for buck. Yeah. You know, it, it's a very even keel drug from a point of view of how you manage it, what you have to do to manage it, and the results you get out of it. Yeah, a couple things, Dave. <clears throat> like you said, let's say somebody, somebody gets worse side effects and estrogen gets out of control when they're at, say, 750 test. Um, and, and, and they're not getting the results that we wanted, then absolutely, that's where I think maybe bringing in a different compound works. Let's keep that test lower. Me personally, maybe I'd throw in some EQ with that. You know, it's going to be a very anabolic compound, and maybe then we don't get the same level of side effects and the same, that we don't have the same issues with estrogen. There's probably still going to need to be some AI level of control there. The other thing I'd say, though, is that, you know, we aren't talking about uh, doing this for the rest of your life, right? We're talking about this is going to be a 12-week period. And um, as you've often said that you took from Broderick, there's a tool for a job, you know? And if if this job is to get you incredibly big in, say, the next 12 weeks, and you're going to be using some AI with that, personally, man, I don't think that AI is just such a terrible thing that we need to, like, not put the size on to avoid you know, taking it. Are there other ways you could go about it? You know, absolutely. I mean, now everybody's using mass to help control estrogen. Maybe it's going to be masked in a smaller amount of AI, but I don't think that if you're going to play with big boy doses, there's going to be some level of estrogen control that needs to happen with that. That's just going to be part of the game. You know, if you, and, and here's the thing, you know, do you use lower doses? Well, it's like, okay, if you're okay with, you know, maybe you're not going to make as much progress that way. Obviously, there is an amount of, like, the more you take, the more you grow. There is some serious truth to that. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously, more side effects. There's a lot to it, so it's not that simple. But, yeah, I just, I don't think that, and we've said it before, I don't think that AI is necessarily as evil, you know. when Now, if you were to say to me, oh, I'm going to have to use a high level of AI in order to run my TRT for the rest of my life. Now, to me, then a flag goes off and I say, oh, we got to do something else, you know. Yeah, I mean, you don't buy a VA and then complain about the fuel bill. You know? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's that sort of thing, you know. 
Um, if you think, I mean, the way I see it, I would rather run uh, a substantial but not ridiculous cycle of something like test and decker and wet drugs and deal with the estrogen if that's going to get me the muscular gains I'm looking for in that period of time rather than do test and primo or test and mass and end up having to do two or more cycles to replicate that level of growth because my total exposure to anabolics is going to be less. Yeah. Yes, I've, I've got a harsher, from a physical effects, I've got a harsher setup with the test and decker. Yeah. But I'm only going to be enduring that for 12 weeks. Whereas if I go the, say, test and primo route, I could be enduring that for a total of 30 weeks, 35 weeks. Absolutely. And it's still anabolics. You know, it's there's still effects in there that you can't avoid. So it is a balanced thing, uh, um, you know, about how much exposure you give yourself to these drugs in order to achieve your goal and don't get swept up in this, oh, well, Primo's safe. So at the end of the day, a gram of Primo is a gram of Primo. It's still, it's still yeah. a thousand milligrams of an anabolic. Yeah. Um, so, so don't get too swept up in this. It, it's about picking the, which we, I've, yeah, it's a broken record of this, but it's about picking the optimum drugs for what you're trying to achieve. And if you can minimize your overall exposure, crack on. There, there, there's always going to be a trade-off, uh, but that trade-off's personal to you as well. So you have to decide on the risk and reward scale how much you're willing to play with for the perceived rewards you think you're going to get. But physically, I mean, both Test and Decora are actually quite relatively well tolerated by the body from a point of view of those compounds. It's just the estrogen management side that becomes an issue, yeah. well, and the progesterone stimulation as well. But uh, so that's where you really need to to, to, to keep your eyes. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, – I don't think there's a right answer to that one, to be honest. I think it's just a case of what fits. I'm with you. All right. How about this one? Um, is there any value have in you, thinking? Yeah. Have you noticed that since someone's compilated Scott's forearms, there's a lot of this going on? Oh, yeah, I always lean forward. So otherwise I'm back here. And I don't feel like I fill the screen up right, so no, I always, I'm always right here. Hey, I got another question for you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got another question. Let me just. Uh, yeah, what's that? What's that over there? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Um, <laughs> is there value in taking four to eight weeks off after a twelve to sixteen week cycle um, before starting TRT? He says he's been cycling for eight plus years and not trying to establish natural levels. So I'm not talking about PCT, um, but basically a period of time to let your blood markers test and estrogen come back down um, before going to a PCT, especially to speed up the process of getting back to baseline. I would say there's definitely argument for a period of no anabolic introduction post-cycle. The period would depend on the doses you were using. So if you were using 500 mega test, a couple of weeks is going to see you getting pretty close to natural ranges. If you were using two gram a test, then that window is going to be a little bit longer. Um, 
it's probably going to be four weeks, maybe even five, before you're back into natural ranges. So it all depends on where you were in your cycle with your levels as to how long you need post-cycle to let things drop back down. But I would always recommend post-cycle, nothing for a few weeks, again, based on what you've been doing, and then pick up your TRT or your PCT or whatever it is you are then going to do moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, and depending on compound too. So like somebody who's mm-hmm. running EQ. Um, in fact, I, I work with a guy right now who's coming off of that. And we discontinued the EQ a week earlier. And we're mm-hmm. going to continue on the test for another week. Then we're going to discontinue the test. And then we're going to continue without anything for a two-week period of time. And and then from there, then we're going to start TRT back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... If it's surprising how long your levels will stay elevated if you go straight onto TRT post cycle. Yeah. I've I have literally seen test levels double natural upper limit six seven weeks post termination of cycle because they went straight back on TRT. Yeah. Um, so it is surprising how long they'll stay elevated. Uh, and the problem is then obviously a lot of people get to week eight and they're starting to look about going back on. Whereas in hormonally, you've never actually been off. You right. Know, you've always been on an ex- escalated level. I love this. Every once in a while, we get somebody who just saw the Under Construction films. He says, just checked out Under Construction, and man, I thought my training was intense. Turn out, Turns out I had no idea what intensity was. Very cool that this insane cycle is documented. How jealous I am of that medicine cabinet. And super impressed and super impressed by the art. A man of many talents. Uh, no, I don't know about that. Man, a master of none. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, if you want to learn how to train, come to my training seminar on the 4th of February. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two. You still have some slots left for it, I, I assume. Cup got a few left. Yeah, it's only going to be like... Okay, so but you're limiting it though. It's going to be like ten yeah. people, right? And what's the date on that again? Fourth of Feb. And where's that at? Uh, Ultraflex in Rotherham. Okay, and that's Start, Cuba's starts, gym. Yeah, it starts about nine in the morning, finishes about half five in the evening. Okay, you might even get a chance to say hi to Cuba then. Hmm. Might do. Cuba and I are going to do a podcast together coming up here real soon. He uh, people really connect to his talk about training. He's a very passionate man about training. He he, he Cooper puts a, a a lot of effort into everything he does. Um, yeah. Whether, I mean, I'm actually not that up to speed on Cooper's current training philosophy. To be fair, so I've not actually discussed training with him. I know his drugs and I know his health because I work with his bloods, but I'm not actually up to speed on his current training philosophy. But I believe it, it it's sensible and decent there's nothing in there that's ridiculous or anything he is highly influenced by jp but he uh he puts a lot of effort into everything he does yeah uh puts a lot of effort into his coaching he offers his clients huge amounts of support they've got like saturday morning webinars they can join and all sorts of stuff he puts events on for them he's he's really structured what he does as a very efficient uh, and Big business, you know what I mean? He, he really goes to town on trying to deliver a great experience for his clients and his customers. Um, I've got a lot of respect for Cuba. He, he's, he's come a long way in a short time. That's cool. That's good to hear, too. Um, how about this one? Question for the next episode. Um, how long will I need to be on TRT before I can start a cycle, considering that my bloods have been fine throughout 
my cycle. Okay, so I think he's like uh, going from how cycle. Long does he need, yeah, how long yeah, does he okay. need to break in between? Yeah, yeah. 1,700 days. That's a long time, Dave. Hmm. It's years. Don't do drugs. Just stay natural, like me. Uh, Ron Partlow told this funny story on It's Just Bodybuilding. When he was, because when he was a teenager, he was really strong. By the time he was 17, mm-hmm. he was like benching 315. And he was a big kid too, like over, like you, over six foot, one of those guys. And I think he was like 17 years old and he was, he was pretty big at the time. And some guy was like, hey, when are you going to hop on the juice? And at the time, Ron had no intentions of running gear. And he said, he said some, some statement back to him, like, I'd rather be the biggest guy in the gym than the biggest guy in the whole world. I'm never touching that stuff. He was like, and the guy literally just busted out laughing, just like couldn't un- uncontrollably started laughing in his face. And he said, you come back to me in a couple of years, kid. <laughs> you realize how stupid you sound. <laughs> um, I would say, irrespective of blood markers, I would be uncomfortable at anything less than eight weeks. I would want to see damn good reasoning as to why. And usually it's a comp schedule. Yeah. Um, because even though blood markers may be correct, you're not going to see the stress factors created by a cycle. Okay. And that just takes time. Um, and what I've seen both in clients and experience personally is that I've, I've finished cycles. I felt good. Blood markers have been good. And I've jumped on six weeks, five weeks later, um, because everything looked great only to experience a real crappy cycle and very high toxicity very, very quickly. And the bottom line is your body just needs some time to chill. Um, Very unscientific, I know, but uh, it just needs some downtime. And if you don't give it downtime, what you'll find is that drug fatigue is going to bite you in the ass halfway through the next cycle you do. Hmm. So a few extra weeks in that bridge point just to make sure that everything's calm down will mean that your following cycle is going to be more productive and you're not going to get tied up with toxicity and stress halfway through it which is going to start to hamper your progress yeah and there there was a reason you had to end that cycle too you know what i mean it's that usually generally when people end a cycle it's because they were ready to come off that things weren't working as well anymore we've we get to that point where we realize hey i think I, i tapped out my progress here here's a good time to reset so I would also use that time as reflection. Like, okay, well, how? what did I achieve in this last run? You know, where? what kind of progress did I make? Even if you don't have a coach, I'm hoping that you're taking pictures of yourself along the way. You can compare those pictures and say, okay, so I see my back improved, but my, my legs, they don't look like they grew any better than they normally would have. So what can I do to maybe adjust my training now? You know, mm-hmm. and now you've got a period of time where, hey, now we're going to adjust your training. We can get into a good groove with those new adjustments and then give yourself a reason then. Like, you know what I mean? Now, when you're finally ready, that eight weeks or whatever down the road to get back on, now you've got kind of like a a, a new stimulus that you're getting to experiment with in the gym, right? I I think the problem with a lot of people is they come off cycle and and as a result, they, they mentally switch off to progress because their automatic assumption is I'm not going to progress. Yeah. Whereas I always used to come off cycle and, and have the mindset, right, I'm going to try and maintain my progress as much as I possibly can. Yeah. I know I'm not going to be able to. I know the chemical addition is gone, 
but that made me be hyper focused on the quality of my training and everything else and the more you can maintain natural progress even if it's minute in the sense of i'm getting half a rep extra every week or you're seeing something that's progressing either in your training or or in your physique then when you do return to drugs your progress is going to be so much greater yeah. Um, but it's so easy to we, – we focus so much around the cycle and then we come off and it's almost like a post-show effect where it's like, right, I'm just going to eat shit now and I'm just going to take my foot off the gas. And it's like, no, this is the point where you should really be nailing everything because yeah. this is what's going to carry you forward, maintain what you've made and actually set you up for the next push that you're going to do. Yeah, my first cycle – I was terrified of losing the progress that I made. Like that was a huge driving force for me to make sure that I was even like more strict, that I didn't miss any meals, that I still trained my butt off. Cause I was terrified. Like my biggest fear was I'm going to do this cycle. It's going to be awesome. Like I'm going to gain all this muscle and then it's all going to go away. Like I had a fear of people, you know, basically laughing at me for doing something that wasn't like, now nah, you see it wasn't real muscle. That was kind of a thought in the back of my head. And at least it drove me, though, to do my best. Yeah, I've, I've always really knuckled down post-cycles because I didn't want to step backwards. Yeah. You know, I wanted to maintain. And I generally used to get a little bit of a strength boom two, three weeks post-cycle. Uh, you mentioned that, and so have other people that I podcast with. And it, it, it was where I, I didn't have a degradation of anything that had progressed but i had a drop off of the stress from the drugs yeah so now my body's much less stressed it's much fitter and healthier in a way of it can perform and i've still got the chemical advantage in that i've still got that chemical strength active yeah so all of a sudden boom things would move uh, and and that was always a good bonus and a good motivation to try and, and keep but i also i very much had an attitude that um my training would always be very comparative. So it was very similar week to week to week to week to week. Yeah. So I knew where my weights were. I knew where my reps were, but I also knew how they felt, what the feel was when I was doing those sets. Uh, and I would be very conscious of trying to maintain that as much as possible. Where I think a lot of people, they don't fight to keep that gain, that they will be very much like, well, I'm off cycle now, so I'm not going to push my top end stuff, or I'm going to do a deload week, Ooh. or I, I'm yeah. going to I'm going to drop my calories a little bit, and it's like, whoa, hang on a minute, you needed those calories to build that muscle, you need those calories to keep it. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry about getting a little bit soft those first three four weeks post cycle because that's going to help you hold what you've made. Yep. And then then once you've established, we can tidy up a little bit. But don't be scared to, to get a little bit soft three, four weeks post-cycle um, just to make sure that the calories are there to maintain what you've built. The amount of times I see people pulling calories back pretty much immediately, and it's like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. It's a good place to have a coach because they're not going to let – you know, a good coach isn't going to let you do that because in your head you are feeling – Okay, so here's the thing. You're not as full as you were before. Uh, body fat, if you're in an off-season like, bulk push-up, then you're probably holding more body fat than you were. Now, on cycle, that's great because you're bigger and rounder and fuller. You're stretching your shirts out. you got veins all over your arms, right? And then you come off that cycle. You still have that extra body fat, but without that, you know, that assisted 
fullness. So yeah, people start feeling a lot flabbier and then they make that mistake. The, the, the thing is as well, I mean, it's like people will be like, oh yeah, but I'm sick of eating. Well, it's, hang on a minute, mate. This isn't a, this isn't, these calories you're consuming aren't optional. Yeah. This is what your body now needs. So this isn't, um, oh, I've pushed the calories up for a, a, this is it. This is where your calories have to be. <laughs> you know, if you want to walk around at 300 pounds, you need to consume enough calories to maintain 300 pounds. I don't care how full you are. I don't care how fed up you are of eating. This is what you have to do if you want to maintain that mass. Yep. So if yep. you're suddenly going to go, yeah, I've done a 12-week push. I'm sick of eating now, so I'm going to pull my calories back. Well, fine, but expect the, the, the physique to go back with it. Yeah. Hold it four to six weeks, then look at tightening up your body fat levels. That's the thing uh, people don't get. They blame the gear. They're like, oh, look at yeah. that guy's 300 pounds. You know, because they, they think that it's all because of the assistance. But the, the, the gear just allows you to make the use out of that food. So, Food is by far the biggest challenge when you start getting big. Yeah. I, um, it, it's It's a noose around your neck it, it really is because it never leaves you it, it's something you have to maintain day in day out uh, and that becomes a chore much more than anything else yeah and i can't relate to it on I, your level obviously i understand it on my own level but to have been like a, a real solid 365 385 it's some it's some serious food you had to put down to stay there it is and, and that's I, a lot of people are like I want to be big and then when they actually realize how much food it's going to take to feed that big it then because shit oh fucking hell you know this this just never goes this this isn't this is just like this I've just finished one meal I finally feel like I'm just about normal and it's like oh, I've got to eat another one now oh Jesus yeah <laughs> Man, I guess that guy, that that rock singer that we were talking about, uh, he tried to uh, kill his wife. That's what he went to jail for. And Dana Lynn Bailey had a video with him, and then she took it down once he went to prison. So, little little bit of uh, side notes. Hmm? Hmm. That's wild. We got enough time for maybe one or two more here. Um, oh, how about this one? I asked him for a little more details. I didn't hear back. Um do you guys have some tips? Uh, let's see. Do you guys have tips for someone who just learned that they have LVH in the last six months? Thanks, guys. Uh, always great t content. Are my PE day, PED days over besides TRT? So left ventricle hypertrophy. A lot deep. So a lot depends on to the extent what, what's his... Um, ejection percentage looking like how well is that left side working um you we're gonna see a little bit of lvh just from training alone yeah so is is that all it is you know there's a big sliding scale here um you know as long as you're 50 percent or above you're generally regarded as being in an okay zone and and obviously improving that function through cardio will help when you start getting below 50, that's when you have to start looking at choices a little bit more. Um, but I think 
you know, even non-users have LVH when they're regular trainers. So it's like that, that, that diagnosis covers a very wide range of effects and severities. So it's like, are you at the mild end where it, it would have happened anyway, just from the point of view of your exercising? Or are you at the other end where you've got an ejection of 35% and, and your heart is really struggling to provide what you need for your body? Yeah. And interestingly, so um, I was first diagnosed with left ventricle hypertrophy in my 30s. And mm-hmm. as a bodybuilder and of course i was scared the second i heard it and but thankfully i had a doctor that understood athletics and she said you know this is this is because you're an, an athlete because you're a bodybuilder it's called an athletic heart uh but then from there she said the key is is that we just want to keep monitoring it to watch how fast it grows um, mm-hmm. so i always had that in my head you know all this time and then when I went to go see a, a heart specialist to get uh, my testing done this last year, um, he had said, yeah, you know, you have some left ventricle hypertrophy. And I said, yeah, I know, you know, athletic heart and all that. He said, well, we stopped calling it an athletic heart after you turn 40, just so you know. <laughs> after you're 40, it's just left ventricle hypertrophy. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, if your ejection gets below 30%, I believe you are classed as disabled. Oh, really? Because mm, your heart function is so compromised. Huh, that's interesting. Man, that stress test was intense. Never done a stress test, despite having all the problems with my heart, but I think that's because they don't friggin' need to. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, we don't even need to do a test. <laughs> we know they, it's knackered. They had this treadmill, uh, and it was a unique treadmill, and... Um, They've got you all wired up, right? And I'm walking on the treadmill, and she's every, I think, 30 seconds or every minute, she's increasing the incline and increasing the incline and increasing the incline. And when you're pushing, pushing, pushing for everything you've got, they're like, okay, keep going. And then they want you to just really go to the max. And when you think you're done, it's like it's like hit training, man. They're like, all right, let's do 30 more seconds. You can do it because the higher you can get your heart, the better. And then from there, you run over and you lay on a table. And then they get the um, the ultrasound out. And your heart's just going like, you could hear it on the thing, you know, it's kind of scary. And they're taking pictures and trying to move really quickly to get you while your heart rate's moving as fast as it can. That sounds like one of my cardio sessions in the morning. I'm on the bike <laughs> doing it and hills. And, and then the instructor's like, right, we're just going to put resistance up. And I'm like, yeah, fuck, I can only just hang on as is. <laughs> so, hey, with that, uh, the Peloton, does it just change those things automatically? Okay. So, yeah, you can set it. Uh, and basically when the instructor says, right, we're going to go up to a higher cadence or we're going to do like, they might do a speed push. Okay. Then the cadence, obviously you have to provide yourself. You can't, but the resistance will auto change. Yeah. Okay. I can see how that could be fun. You don't have to think about it. You just follow the plan. It, it's on the harder, more challenging stuff. You, you're very focused on just getting through that, that challenge at that point. So yeah. you tend not to think about the actual workout and its full extensity. Um, but, um, they, 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 some of them are pretty brutal. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not fit by anyone's standards, but, um, I've, 
I don't know what this would relate to in real world, but I, I'm some of the workouts I'm doing now, we're hitting 75%, 75 on resistance. It only goes up to 100. Okay. And I'm, and I'm proper having to power down to get that thing to move at that. Really? Um, yeah, and I do 20 minutes hitting hills every day as much as I can. Old one, I'll have to do a lighter one because I just don't feel it or I'm struggling a bit. But yeah. Um, and I, I come off and I'm soaked and I'm blowing like an old car horse. But I do feel much better for it. I hate cardio. It just I don't like it. But I, I have to admit I feel better for it, and that's what's forcing me to keep doing it. Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, man. I know that you – you struggled to get into like a consistent plan with stuff, you know, years back, and you you've been at this for a while now. Yeah, that's come back off holiday, and I dropped into it, and I've pretty much done every day bar two. Nice. Okay. Um, this morning, I, I set out to do a hit in hills, and within five minutes, it was I'm I can't even fucking move this anymore. So I dropped out and into a a gentler session, but still made sure I did a session. Uh, real quick, <coughs> no, real quick one, uh, HCG for fertility um while on so while on cycle mm -hmm. uh what do you say 250 to 500 units twice a week something like yeah, that yeah yeah I, I would be 250 300 uh three times a week okay um the the serotonin cells that produce sperm can be stimulated by testosterone which is why you hear a guy's actually you know getting a missus pregnant when they're on cycle yeah, okay. Uh, the idea of HCG is that it increases what's known as ITT, which is intertesticular testosterone. It doesn't affect circulating levels, but it will affect the stimulus within the testes themselves. Um, and that, in turn, can increase serotonin cell stimulation. Uh, there is also an element of a lack of Leydig cell degradation if you've got some HCG stimulus in there as well. So it can... Not completely, but it can offset Leydig cell degradation to some extent. All right. And then I this one I thought was kind of like maybe a, a question for our good old Uncle Dave. Um, Go on. He says, uh, big fan of the show. Had a question for the next one. Uh, what advice would you give guys uh to what would excuse me what advice would you guys give to someone who has been out of shape with a lot of insecurities um to better sh to 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 being in better shape sorry my brain's not working today apparently sometimes with my uh, with the way my brain works i can read better than others today i have literally been struggling like i just start putting words before others i can read it to myself but trying to fucking read it out loud is a whole other thing basically though he's saying um okay so he's being out of shape with a lot of insecurities to being in a lot better shape but mentally he still feels like a busted can of biscuits uh, i love all, that i love that yeah. phrase <laughs> that's a good one is that a british thing uh, I no, I don't think so. I, I, think, I think I've heard you say that before. Busted can of biscuits, bag of spanners, maybe. Yeah, um, it's a difficult one. Um, is the simple answer. Um, we all have it. So the first thing is, you're not unusual. We all have insecurities, and they can range. And it is perfectly normal to have insecurities around the way you look. That is very normal, very standard. A lot of people, oh, I've got body dysmorphia. Not really. Body dysmorphia starts when 
the way you look would stop you from going to work or stop you from going to a social event or stop you from having friends. That's true body dysmorphia, but that's not to say that there's a sliding scale here and we, you know, we can have insecurities at any sort of levels. Um, you recognize you've made improvements. So there is definitely a positive there in that you're not blind to the fact that you've made improvements because you've stated I've made improvements but you've just not convinced yourself that those improvements are worth anything, I suppose, really. Um, the thing is, your physical appearance has no quantity on, on your worth. You know, it, it, it matters jack shit what you look like from a point of view of what your worth is as a person. Yeah, Your worth as a person comes from your deeds... I, for want of a better word, your soul, you know, the type of person you are. Having said that, I appreciate and understand that how we physically look can have a big impact on how we feel from our own confidence point of view. For sure. Because society does judge us on the way we look. And within this community, it is absolutely effing brutal. You know, I can, for people that don't know me, if I talk generally my words will be discounted because I don't represent my knowledge physically. Mm. People that know my history, it's a different scenario. But if I go and speak, say, say I went to speak at a college, yeah, the, 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 the vast majority of students at our college would not listen to a word I said. Why? Because I don't physically represent what I'm talking about. So we do live in a society where image is important. I, I think the first thing is to try and accept who you are. And I know it sounds corny, uh, but you've got to try and do it without judgment. Um, so a prime example is I'm fat. I know I'm fat. I'm probably 70 pounds heavier than I really should be, if not more. Okay. I'm not motivated visually to change that. But I know I need to do it for health and performance point of view. And I mean performance from a point of view of just living everyday life. So I use that as the way to keep me on a track. Hmm. Because I don't give a shit about what I look like because I have been where I've been on my journey. So it's like, who the hell do I have to prove anything to? Yeah. Um, and it's difficult to then find balance in looking after yourself. Uh, now you're at the opposite end of this where you feel your visual is, is very much, very important about your self-worth and, and it's playing a massive factor in, in how you feel about your quality as a human being. And, and trust me, we all have qualities, no matter how crap you think you are, we have qualities. You can use that insecurity as motivation to improve your physical yeah. But you have to be careful that you don't become reliant on your physical as your identity. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. Because the most boring, miserable shitbag of people I've ever met are in the bodybuilding community. 
Yeah, you can be in freaking awesome shape. Like you can be one of the best people, and you'll still discount it when somebody else gives you, you know, any any type of compliment. You know what I mean? Like you can be radically great, and somebody's like, "Oh man, you look so awesome." You literally you don't hear it. You're just like, "Oh yeah." But then you think of who else looks better than you, and you'll keep doing that if you're not if if you don't like basically get in touch with understanding. And really, Dave, I think it's even bigger. It's like looking for something outside of yourself to yeah. make you feel happy, be it the physique that you're building, be it the car that you drive, right? All those well, you, things, it all kind of falls into like trying to keep up like some sort of, if I have this appearance, then I'm going to feel happy, you know? And you it, never are. Yeah. It's never ending. You have to accept you for you in order to achieve happiness. You will never be happy if you're chasing the ideal body or you're chasing the ideal lifestyle because as soon as you get there, the goalposts have moved. Yeah. And it's now further away. Plus, within this community, there's so much falseness from the way of the images that are posted online with angles and angles and everything else that comes with it. You're working against a, an unrealistic ideal as well. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with taking pride in the way you look. There's nothing wrong with wanting to build a good physique. Be careful you don't allow that to become your sole purpose, though, because you are so much more than what you physically look like. So many people in bodybuilding get so obsessed with the way they look, they become so one-dimensional as a person that they shit to be around because they've got nothing else. And... and I don't want to talk bodybuilding 24-7 to somebody. I want to talk to somebody who's interesting, who has life experiences, who lives a life. Yeah. And it's balance. You know, some of these sacrifices in, in other aspects of your life towards your physique are arguably worth it if you're getting something off the end of that that's very rewarding. But you'll find that physique congratulations are fleeting and the the warm feeling you feel when somebody compliments the way you look is short-lived and if you try and fill that void by developing a better physique you're going to go down a road of, of disaster fill that void by being confident and happy in who you are as a person and then use the physique as the icing on the top um yeah say so i know loads of people with great physiques and they're assholes as people yeah and, and I know people that are great people and they've got crap physique. So you don't need a good physique to be a good person. But I understand that you want to look good and that's fine. And But just don't make it your priority because it's going to be a never-ending task that you're never going to be satisfied with. And you may well actually end up injuring yourself in the process. Of oh, physique. sure, man. Easier to justify using higher doses and doing Everything. dumb stuff. Um, let me ask you this then: How how can one go up, up upon that? You know, I, I think what we're seeing here too is is like it's okay to still try to look your absolute best. Just like look at what are you actually expecting to get out of it? Because I know that like for me, I'll get it in my head that like oh, if I buy this item, if I start obsessing on something I want to buy, I start feeling like oh, it'll make me really happy to have that, you know, and the physique is the same thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, if I could get those 18 inch arms, I will be happy. Uh, you'll be the same guy. You'll just have bigger arms. So what, look, give us one tip on, on it's, it's easy for us to say like, okay, so, you know, don't just focus on that. What can we, what can we do? What's one thing we can do to overcome that? 
I think you have to be honest about yourself and you have to be honest about where you are. And there has to be an acceptance of that. So you can accept who you are. Doesn't mean you have to put up with that. So effectively what you do is you go, right, this is me. I'm X, Y, Z. I don't like that element about myself. So, okay, well, I'm going to make a positive plan to change that for the better. What does it take me to change that? Are the rewards I'm going to get from changing that worth what I have to do to achieve it? Mm, and you be make realistic. A yeah, you just got to be a constant decision. Like yourself just mentioned, I have purchased things in my life thinking that when I have them, I'll be a better person. And rarely has any of those things ever lived up to the expectation of what I thought they were going to bring me. It just goes to the uh, next thing, you know. And I've, I've realized that happiness is actually a state of mind. It, yeah. You don't achieve happiness in the sense of you get it from achieving something. You don't get it from being somebody or making something. You can make you happy, but you don't achieve happiness. And there is a difference. Happiness comes from a contentment and acceptance of who you are. But achievements can make you happy, but they're never going to be a long-standing happiness. So what's one, what's can, one thing that makes you happy? Like, I mean, genuinely happy. Nature. I appreciate nature. I appreciate the, the outdoor world. Um, I, I enjoy driving one of my cars. Um, but there's an element of anticlimax with that as well. Sure. Especially um, when it breaks. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, which it does more right. often than not. You know what I mean? I mean? It's, 50 years, <laughs> it, it, it's 50 years old. It generally breaks down more than it runs. Um, so that, that gives me moments of happy, but it doesn't give me happiness. Yeah. But I enjoy, I enjoy it. I do enjoy it. Otherwise, I'd get rid of it. I feel like for uh, me, family is one, mm -hmm. and and I genuinely get happiness from helping others, whether it be like us helping people on the show, coaching. I to to know that like our lives are short, and that if I can do something positive that makes the world a better place, that gives me like true contentment. Yeah, and, and, and I, I mean, I wouldn't run Eval, I don't think, uh, particularly from the financial angle. Yeah. Um, if there wasn't an element of reward from doing what we do, which there genuinely is. It gets frustrating at times. And I said a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, I said that, you know, when I've been away, I'd realized the privilege I have in my life. Yeah. And I need to be more appreciative of that and less complaining because actually it is a great privilege where I am and what I've got. I'm not the richest man, far from it. Uh, most of my social circle is far more wealthier than me financially, but I feel I'm very rich in other ways. Um, I can't stand my kids, so I can't say that family is a, a bonus because <laughs> they're all assholes. But I, I love my wife dearly. Um, and and she, I am genuine. I work with her. I live with her. You know, we do everything together. You don't have that type of setup if you don't enjoy being with each other. Yeah. You know, we don't spend a great deal of time apart. Um, Victoria so and I, I as well. Re I regard myself as, as, as being quite happy and quite content. And as a result, 
I could die tomorrow and have no regrets apart from the pain that would cause other people. Yeah. I feel very completed. I, I feel very completed in life. Uh, I don't have any big yearnings to do this, that, or the other. And as I've got older, though it's nice to be comfortable and it's nice to be able to afford your bills yeah. and, and to be able to have nice materialistic things around they don't have the level of importance they once did. And yeah. financial achievement doesn't have the level of importance they once did. And to be fair, there's something about not being well off and the simplicity of that that has actually a bit of niceness around it. Uh, you say I've that until seen. you can't keep the heat turned on. You know what I mean? There's a well, li- there's a balance, right? There, there is a balance, yeah. But, I mean, it was, some of my daughter said to me the other night, she was going to go up in the car and sit on a hilltop and watch a movie on a phone in the snow and the cold. Okay. Because she found it really enjoyable, and it reminded her of a time when she had no money and things were much simpler. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> so... Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd rather be miserable and rich than miserable and poor. It, yeah. That's why I'd be miserable much more tolerable. But at the same time, financial success makes life easier, but it doesn't necessarily make life happier. Yeah. And my 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 enjoyment comes from a lot of really the, the, the simple things, like just looking at scenery and stuff like that. It doesn't cost a fucking penny. Yeah, I watched a YouTube short the other day and this guy just interviewed this woman who was just like random uh, 90 something year old lady sitting in a park. And then she said they said, like, what did you what have you learned about life? You know, that you you, you've realized with your age. And she said that, you know, like material things aren't important. She's like, I have a house full of things that I've collected over my life. And my kids don't really want these things uh, like things that were important to her. She's like, my kids don't want these things. Um, they live in small houses. They don't have the space for them. At one time, they were really important to me, and I really felt you know, like they were doing something for me. But now I realize that they're not important. Um, and trying to make other people happy and trying to stay in fashion, all that stuff. She's like, I realized that you just don't need to worry about what other people think. And it took her yeah. being that age. You know, I feel like the, the quicker we can catch up with her, the better we can live some really good years ahead of us and hopefully we don't have to get to be 95 to, to figure it out. You know, I, I I do think that, that a lot of it is where we are mentally in, in, you can look at events like I can look at the 20 odd reports. I've now got to write when I finish the show as oh fuck, I've got 20 odd reports. I'm going to be here till eight o'clock tonight. Or I can look at it as, yeah, I've got 20. We're busy. I've got 20 reports. That's great. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think it, it's sometimes difficult to put that positive spin on it, particularly with wonky glasses and only one lens working for <laughs> me and half blind. But at the same time, it, it, it is so much mindset. Oh, yeah. You, you will be happy when you realize that your happiness is already there. You just have to open the tin and, and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, I, I do get to experience nice things, but I've been dirt poor living on the street as well. I've had both ends of this scale. Uh, and there was enjoyment just in the simple things in that as well, you know. So happiness can be found at all levels. It isn't financially motivated. 
that's not to say that removing the worries of finances don't make it more comfortable because they do but um you know true happiness i think comes from self-acceptance that's my honest opinion when you're comfortable with yourself shit don't matter anymore all right let's wrap this thing up dave do you have anything else you want to share i need to pee okay that sounds good i I may have wet myself slightly guys check out eval blood analysis you can go to plymouth from nine to three on Mondays and Wednesdays, you uh, go to Liverpool up, from eleven not. to seven. <laughs> no, <laughs> some dick will message me now and go, Scott says I can go to Liverpool. Guys, we appreciate you watching. Dave, appreciate you being here as always. Uh, for real, go to evalbloodanalysis.com. Uh, Strong Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. Supplementsource.ca for Canadians. TrueNutrition.com. Use our code THINK for you guys here in the US. And of course, thank you to everybody from Patreon. You guys are helping to make this thing happen. For another episode of the podcast with Dave Crossland, I'm Scott McNally. And oh, sign up for Dave's class. I've got his uh, social media in the description below. Uh, reach out to him there. We'll see you soon, guys. Bye.